FishCast. Today we're going to discuss the hiring of Gus Malzahn, the new head football coach at University of Central Florida. The Golden Knights didn't stop there, they hired Travis Williams to be their defensive coordinator. And in our final segment, we're going to discuss the retirement of Marquise and Michael Pouncey, the Pouncey Twins. Welcome, everybody, to the renamed and appropriately named FishCast. As now, see what we did there, Fish, Cast, Cast, Casting, Catching Fish. Anyway, I am your host, Corey Long, joined by the uh, Director of All Things Scouting with Elite Scouting Services and the host of this podcast, Charles Fishbine. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. I've got a quick story, and you know I'm a storyteller, and people okay. like the stories. Uh, so the other day, you know, Ethan wanted to go play some basketball. And, um, you know, we decided to go shoot hoops. I'm not very good. If I ever made it to the NBA, which ain't going to ever happen, <laughs> my stat line would be zero points, probably like 20 rebounds and no other stats. I'd be great at rebounds because I know how to, you know, my okay. shots are so bad that nobody else knows where they're going except me. So I get offensive rebounds. So we go out there and we play and Ethan's playing and we're, you know, hitting some shots and I always let them – I always beat them in the first game and then let them win the next two. And what a mistake. I probably should just let them win the first two and get out of there. Well, you know, these two kids walk up to the park and they go, hey, do you guys want to play two on two? Oh, man. So, you know, I actually played halfway decent. Ethan played well. And we only lost the first game by one. And we come back and we win the second game. I hit a three-pointer. I still don't know how to do it. But we won. And I didn't embarrass Ethan. I didn't embarrass him. I was worried about just don't embarrass my son yeah, yeah. so he didn't have his head hanging low, you know? Yeah. So we won. But I could tell you, I didn't win the next day because I tried to roll out of bed and everything hurt, Corey. <laughs> everything hurt. Like, like, that, I, like that next day. That next day. You yeah. didn't realize, why did I do this? I know I love my son, but I should have never played because I was aching. I mean, Corona didn't hit me this bad. Like, it hurt more playing that game. And I thought Corona Corona took my legs. This took my whole body. But uh, we won the game, and I just wanted to share that with you guys because uh, I didn't embarrass Ethan. That's all I wanted to do is not embarrass Ethan. And you didn't embarrass. <laughs> so I did a good job. So, but your body and your body punish you for the next. And the thing is, you didn't feel it that first day because you had adrenaline. You came home, you got something, you felt good. The next morning, everything that adrenaline hid the day before came back at you twofold. Oh it's yeah, like, cool. I'm gonna let you get some sleep tonight, but don't act like you're gonna do nothing tomorrow. Dude, muscles hurt that I never thought I had. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, but that's my story for the week, and uh, or I'm ready to go, man. Well, big news the big news is the Gus bus has landed at Disney World. Um, UCF had what we think is three candidates I think Ole Miss coordinator Jeff Levy, I think Miami OC Red Lashley, and Gus Malzahn were pretty much the three guys. Maybe Phil Longo was in there as well. $2.3 million a year, five-year deal. Gus Malzahn, the new head coach at Auburn, 
excuse me, former head coach of Auburn, now the new head coach at UCF. This is a funny three-way trade because Tennessee fires Jeremy Pruitt. You and I both thought that Tennessee would be smart to hire Gus. Gus already played Alabama and Georgia annually, so he knows how to handle that. He's familiar with everything. He's a clean guy. I mean, he's like it's rare that you can call an SEC coach clean. Like Gus, like the cleanest guy to ever coach at the SEC for more than one year. So he's a clean guy. They end up high. Tennessee ends up hiring Danny White, the UCF AD, which I think was a great hire. White brings over Josh Heupel, which was a guy at UCF, so it makes sense. Now UCF hires Gus. I think UCF wins the whole thing. So I think they got the best coach. No offense to Josh Heupel. I don't think he's a bad coach, but I love Gus Malzahn. He's a winner. He's won everywhere. He's won every – the only reason he's not at Auburn is because once a decade, their inferiority complex just blows up out of proportion. They realize we're never going to be Alabama. We've got to fire a coach and hire a new one. What's crazy is – so Tennessee gets a good coach. I think they yeah. finally – they finally figured it out. They got a good coach. It took them like five tries to get there. All right. <laughs> They've had like five. Co- I mean, they have a new coach every two years at this rate. Yeah. UCF has nailed it. Like I, they have nailed it with every single coach. Yeah. I mean, heck, they even hit it off with O'Leary, even though he, you know, it didn't end well. He, he had a lot of success. And then all of a sudden yeah, they get know. Scott Frost and they hit a home run. And then Josh Michael comes in and he continues to win. And now, yeah. I mean, they just hit the mother load. I, I, I'm like, you know, <laughs> how did they do this? I mean, like this guy fell in their laps and then they're getting them at a bargain rate. Now it's crazy to call 2.2 million a bargain rate, but part of his salary is still getting paid by Oliver. You know? So UCF people should be sending that booster or those boosters like cards every week, like they're in prison. Just send them, hey, thank you cards, because you just sent us a coach. We talked about it. He may lose one game in two years before he's the top candidate in college football. Yeah. And, I mean, the the issues that I've seen, I think I think UCF fans have a weird reaction to this one. Like, on my story on WalterFootball.com, I gave it an A grade. There's nothing else I can give it. It's an A grade. Higher. And I think they all think that, hey, this guy's going to come. He can win. Doug Gabriel, who was a UCF um, wide receiver in the early, early 2000s, I think he put out a video that said he was a little concerned about whether or not um, – whether or not Malzahn would stay there any period of time. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think that's, first of all, Malzahn's 55. So we really don't know whether he's just looking at this to springboard back in the SEC or he's been in the SEC for 12 years and he's like, you know, I'm done with this. This is the best job in the G5. I think we both agree that UCF is the number one job in the G5. It pays well. Living in Orlando doesn't suck. It's a nice place, especially if you've got a lot of money. It's a nice place to live. And he knows you can build a top 10 program there. He saw it happen. It, it, he was on the field when it happened. So he knows it's capable. And the guy loves recruiting Florida. Like, he's like, hey, I get to recruit Florida all the time now. How can my, how can my life get any better? He's going to win so much that somebody's going to offer him 
I have a feeling. Next well, you know game, Monty. Will he ever leave the state of Florida again? Maybe he won't be at UCF, but will he ever leave the state of Florida again? He may. He he may not. And and listen, the one that really makes the decision at the end of the day is the wife. All right. So when that eight million dollar offer comes, <laughs> the wife's like, when she start, she's on the phone with the moving companies. <laughs> the decision's been made for you. You know, like. You see that move, you know, Big Bob's moving companies yeah. outside the uh, UCF uh, facilities. But, I mean, we talked about it before. O'Leary signed, I think, when he got there, a $10 million contract, a million dollars a year for 10 years. Like, he was yeah. like, you know what? You can win a lot here. I'm going to make enough money. You know, Malzahn may see the same thing. I mean, $2.5 million a year to live in Orlando. We've talked about it. There's zero pressure to win there because you're going to win. If you're a good coach, you're going to win. Yeah, absolutely. That's and, the first start. You're going to win. He's going to get – now he goes from a place at Auburn where he had great athletes. Auburn always had a good roster. But what would you say? Their roster was maybe maybe the sixth best in the conference. Even on a good day, maybe fourth best in the conference. Like, it could never get really in the top three. It was never going to be as good as Georgia's or LSU's or Alabama's. Most most times, not even as good as Florida's. I'm not going to – Now he goes to a spot where there's only two schools that could possibly compare with you talent-wise. That's USF and that's Houston. Those are the only two schools that have a shot. I, I think he could get a competitive roster to compete with Auburn. I mean, honestly, I, I'm not I saying – I'm not saying they're – Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. like with the transfer portal and what he could bring to – UCF and how much he likes to recruit there. I mean, he's going to put out some first round picks. Like they're going to pull some guys that are going to go high in the draft the next two or three years, just because of who he is. And I, I just, I, like I said, if I'm a UCF fan today, who, I, I mean, these fans, Oh, we may only get two years. Like you got two years of the prior coach. What does it matter? You win. And if your coach is winning, you don't want them to be there two years and you're firing them. I mean, it's better that they're winning and they're leaving, you know? And it's, I mean, look at the candidates they had. I mean, you know, I you look at, at the coaching changes there's been at the, the big three. They they didn't get an SEC coach. No. They had to go, they had to go hire guys that were up and coming coaches like UCF. You know, they got a big name coach. I, I'd be ecstatic if I was their fan base. I, I mean, yeah, because you still, you're not getting, like, I don't look at Gus Malzahn like he's a retread. I don't think he feels like he's accomplished everything he wants to accomplish in college football. He won an SEC title in 2013. He made the, uh, he, he made the title game. He was a Jameis Winston to Kelvin Benjamin pass short of winning a national championship. Um, they play for another SEC title a few years later. Uh, three and five against Saban, one of three coaches, only two that are active in coaching now that have three wins against Nick Saban, by the way. Like, there's just, there's not a lot. It's Ems Spurrier and Les Miles. That's it. I, that's, your, that's your, that's your, yeah. I believe he was OC on the national championship team with Cam yeah. Newton. So this guy's a winner. He's been yeah. around winning programs. Uh, Absolutely. So you know what I think about Gus Malzahn? I think he's a top 10 coach in college football, and he just landed in Orlando. And that's yeah. just – you got to look – you know, I know fans always look at, like, oh, uh, who, who's – you know, who they've lost – these guys lose to. Listen, if you break down 
every coach is going to lose outside of Saban. I, I just think that fan bases think, oh, our team's supposed to go 12-0 and in every year. Listen, it's already been proven. I mean, Scott Frost went undefeated at UCF. O'Leary had only had a season where they lost one game, and they I think they beat Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, Heifels had a team that ended up they, – they jumped out. I think they played um, LSU. Or I, I'm pretty sure he was the LSU coach. Won uh, against LSU that year, and they were competitive in that game, um, but lost. I mean, it shows you you can compete at a high level and win a lot of ball games. And and once again, if he's good enough to leave in two or three years, you know what? It's gonna be such a hot job again that somebody else is gonna want to take it over. Yeah, exactly. Coaches it's like, know it's a great job. Yes, I think it's the best job in Power Five. But no I doubt. Right now, it, it hasn't always been but for the last five or six years it is right now because they had you know the one thing when scott frost came in there was he showed what ucf could be if they really got serious about recruiting which the o'leary group was you know dave kelly was tremendous but as you know he had to fight a lot to get what he wanted to get done recruiting was a constant battle whereas scott frost decided we're just going to go out and get kids josh heupel wasn't as excited about recruiting. He's a good coach who loves offense, who's going to put a great product out on the field. But you you got the feeling that, okay, you know, that eventually his kind of malaise toward recruiting was going to catch up to him a little bit. And it was starting to catch up a little bit. Now we're in a whole – now we got a guy who likes to recruit and who wants a staff of guys who want to hit the trail hard. Like you talk about a situation where right now it's COVID, things are a little who can who can benefit? Who benefits? They've been the guys who are in areas where a lot of talent is around there benefit. That's why Miami's benefiting right now. You know what? When you're in Miami Dade County, you don't have to go far to recruit. When you're in Orange County in that area of Orlando, that's about you know, that's about two and a half million people metro. You don't have to go far to recruit. You go 45 minutes any direction, you're finding a lot of players. Oh, it's it's an easy school to recruit to. I, I remember sitting down with Dave Kelly when he got there the first year at UCF, and I, I don't think they won a game their first year. No. We discussed it that UCF could be Boise State. They can be the crap they could crash the party at the BCS table. They're a program that can play and compete with you know top 10 teams. And they did, they built that up like we thought. And they built it up to a level that they they made that job one of the most attractable jobs. I mean, the facilities, they continue to improve. They got a stadium on campus. They've got the, um, like the condos for the players that are right next to this. Like yeah. they're able to control where those kids are at all the time. It's a great city to live in. I, I don't know. I, I just, I mean, I'm ready to call up there and ask them if they want me to run recruiting because, you know, I'm available. You know, I I'm, I love elite, but I wouldn't, you know, my wife wants to move to Orlando, so let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, I just, I don't, I don't see any doubt. One, you know, he's going to have a good set. The one thing that people, UCF takes this thing seriously. They, they're, they're not, they're not tight wads about the money. First of all, 2.3 million a year. That is, a, that is a nice salary at a G5 school. That's really big money. Yep. And now, you know, they're going to hire Travis Williams, who had just taken the linebacker's job at Miami. So he's going to end up being his D.C. He worked with Gus for the last seven years at Auburn. 
they're not, you know, that's not coming at a cheap rate. Like they're willing to invest. Like I think people are going to be surprised at the staff that he's able to bring in with them. I mean, did Travis Williams even get a cup of Cuban coffee? He may not even have gotten, I don't know if he got gas station coffee. I mean, did he get to Cafe Versailles and get a, a real good, strong Cuban coffee? But I mean, like, he wasn't there long enough. I mean, that, for about six weeks. I, that? I, that's, I think he got hired last week. I don't think he's been on campus, but, like, I, honestly, I mean, he couldn't even – I don't even think he got a load of laundry done. Like, I really think this guy – I mean, you want to talk about – I've only seen one other coach that's happened to. I remember Coach McGriff. It was funny. Coach – Wesley McGriff, he's at UF. He was at Baylor at the time, and he went to Kansas State, and he sent me his number. And then, like, two days later, I get a text message, and it's a new number. And I'm like, what? And he was in Miami. I'm like, darn, he probably thought Manhattan, Kansas was really Manhattan, New York, because he got out of there in less than 48 hours. I mean, he wasn't even able to watch a movie. And I got to tell you, but this is quick. I mean, Travis. You're right. They hired. I'm looking at the story that ran the Dothan Eagles about them hiring. was ran February 1st. It's February 16th. So he's had two weeks. I mean, his wife's like, oh, man, my I don't know if he's. I bet they haven't even. I bet they never even left Auburn. I bet they haven't even moved yet. Oh, my God. Money they haven't. I bet he was probably working. Does he even tell her? Does he even tell her she just moves down to Miami and and, and plays it off like, hey, I'll be down there? <laughs> like, just, hey, I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> just move down. He's, he got a place. I mean, I don't know where Travis is from or his family situation. He played at Auburn, I think. I think he, he played, played at Auburn. Okay. I mean, like, Orlando is probably a more appealing move for his wife. They've never been to, you know, if they've, generally stayed in Alabama or, you know, Orlando's a better move than going right to, you're from Miami, you know, I've been, you know, if you ain't, if you ain't used to that culture shock, it can hit you kind of hard. Yeah. There's a big, listen, I've been to Auburn, Alabama. There's a big shock when you hit Miami. Like Orlando, everybody's at least been to Orlando once to Disney. So you can ease right in that move. That move feels, there's. there's, There's at least of, one country club in Orlando, and Miami, you gotta go. I you gotta go to Davie, Florida, to hit you know like a country club on Tuesday nights and you know shake your boots. But I honestly, what's crazy is, and it's this is a great thing for Travis Williams because it's been discussed. You know, we've talked about it. Um, this gives him an opportunity as a minority coach to be one step closer to being a head coach, and I, I think this is the thing that really. You know, you saw with uh, you know, the coach at um, Coach Huff at, at Marshall, he got his opportunity. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of those where it's like you're a position coach. Him and Mario were position coaches. They got head coaching jobs off of being position coaches. But this guy gets a chance now. If he has success the next two years, he's going to have a shot at a, at a at a really good job um, over the next two years. You know, and it's good. It's good for the minority coaches that. He's gotten this opportunity. What's your thoughts about it? Uh, you know, I think he's a, I think it's a great situation. I think anybody who joins that staff is a great situation, but I, I looked at it like you, this is great. A young minority coach having a coordinator opportunity at a place where he can be successful. You know, he's not going to Louisiana Monroe. He's not going somewhere where, you know, they were owing 
12 last year. Their defense ranked 118th in the country. He knows when he steps in, he'll have some athletes and he'll have an opportunity to recruit a whole lot more. You know, and that, so I, I always look at it, it's not just so much the hire, it's the opportunity. I think the opportunity is wonderful. I don't think anybody who is around that program right now with UCF would think that that's anything less than a great opportunity for a young coach to get a solid start on a resume because you do, because you're going to be in a, in a situation where they put winning at a premium, they've invested money, and you're going to have to do some work. You know, you're going to have to show that you can recruit. And I tell you another thing, not just about William, about this whole hire. UCF people are smart. They, they, they see, they realize they had to have someone to combat Jeff Scott at USF because they saw, they realized, okay, Jeff Scott's real. You know, he can get kids. He's, you know, that program is showing signs of progress. They're not going to be down forever. We can't, you know, I mean, it's been a rare, it's only been a year or two when USF and UCF were good at the same time. Most of the time when one's been up, the other's been down. And I think, you know, UCF had to look at that as well and think, you know what, we can't, we can't, we, we don't, we got all this momentum, you know, but this, this guy in Tampa, he's good. You know, he's a good coach. He's a good young coach. You know, he, he, he surprised them a little bit in that game last when they put up 40 points and 700 yards. I think that got their attention. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any reason why both teams can't have a lot of success. They should never be as bad as they were. And 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 Coach Scott, you, how you know a, a, a guy that's going to have success? That team was terrible at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And by the end of the year, they were competitive. They may not have beat teams, but they were competitive. And with the same personnel, it's not like they went out halfway through the year and they hit the waiver wire and found some bargain deals like they, he went to war with the guys that he had and, and we know what they were left. That roster was depleted of talent and, and what he did this year in the um, on signing day, he got a lot of very high quality end players and you know, he's going to flip that roster, you know, in two years from now that that game, it may not be, but one more year that that game eventually becomes one, you know, a very competitive high and rivalry game like they had, uh, you know, one year with Scott Frost where they went into overtime. So it's, I think it's great for college football. I do too. I mean, you you refer to that one year with at Thanksgiving Friday where they, you know, it was Frost and it was I think it was Charlie Strong's first year and Quentin throws for Quentin Flowers throws for over 500 yards. It's a comes down to the final possession, probably one of the best games in college football that you know, probably the game of the year in college football that year. And it showed you what happens when both of those teams have top-end talent and what they're capable of. So it's exciting. I, I'm excited. I'm excited for – you know, you get another great coach in the state. I'm excited for the recruits in the state of Florida that, you know, I think it's a coach and a staff, another staff that's going to really be centered in on those guys. So – I'm, I'm really excited to see what Gus Malzahn does. More than anything, I just think it's a it's the right hire at the right time, and I'm really excited to see what he does. They've got a they've got a schedule next year now. The UCF schedule, it's not, you know, it's definitely doable. But I mean, you look at this sucker; it's a you know, it's not an easy schedule. Like I, you look at it, they 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 open up with um, Boise. They open up at home with Boise. Um, they go at Louisville on the 17th of September. They uh they come back with uh well actually excuse me they open, they open up with Boise they don't have the rest of their dates down but uh 
I know they, they, they play at Louisville and they play UConn in November. Those are their out of conference. And they also get, they get, they get at Cincinnati, at Navy, at SMU, at Temple. Those are the road games in the conference. And the home games in the conference are East Carolina, Memphis, Tulane, and USF. And they've got one more game they've got to get in there, I believe, because that's only 11. So yep. they've got one more game they still have to schedule. But, um, you know, you know but I look at that schedule right now. I look at that schedule. It's not an easy one, but that's eight and three at worst. Yeah, I remember Boise has to bring in a new coach that hasn't, you know, that their coach went to Auburn. And, and the one thing that UCF has and you have to have in college football is a quarterback. And Gabriel, oh, yeah. Gabriel's really good. And I, I'm excited to see what he could do in a Malzahn offense. And the, and the one thing we discussed, they've got, they've, their offense, while it was so high powered and they scored fast, I still think Malzahn's going to do that, but he's going to pull it back at points of the game to give his defense a rest. I just think they were so, you know, gas, you know, the gas pedal to the metal all the time. That I mean, I remember last year, the UCF game, it was like they scored, uh, they played, um, you know, Georgia Tech. It seemed like they scored in 30 seconds. Their defense was out on the field. Then they, if they don't get turnovers, and their defense is out on that field, their defense is, you know, 75, 80 plays. And I don't care who you are as a defensive coordinator, you're not going to have a lot of success if the defense is out there that much. And it wasn't just the scoring quick. It was the quick three and outs. You remember, they'd have enough. The, both possessions would be 27 seconds, and one would be a touchdown, and one would just be throwing three passes away and punting. And it's like, my God, you know, at a certain point, you got to at least understand possession. But, um, I, I think we both, I mean, I gave it, like I said, I gave it an A grade. I think we both think it's a great, um, great hire. The Gus bus is in Orlando, and I mean, if you can get a hire like that on February, mid-February, you take that one and you're very happy about it. We are going to be right back, and we're going to talk about two guys that are calling it quits that we both got a couple of stories to tell. thing in this uh shorter episode of the fish cast is that we got two guys calling it quits two guys that you and i know very well mike and marquise pouncey the twins both decide to retire together uh it was uh marquise retiring after 10 seasons mike retiring after nine um you know we've known these kids probably they're not kids anymore they're grown men but they were always grown men but we know them since they were at Lakeland High, I think probably about the time that we met, probably in 2004, when we met when they were sophomores. Yep. Um, and, you know, we followed them, uh, followed them in their time at Florida, in their time at the league. Um, I just, I just, I think they were, I can't think, right. I mean, I can think of more linemen individually that you can look at and say, this line, but for tandem, like, they were as good as it got. I mean, they were so good. Yeah, I mean, when you, you're talking about the pounties, I, I remember, I, and I take a lot of heat for old Vince Williams and people give me a hard time because I, I said Vince wouldn't be that great. Uh, I was the one, and I'm going to take credit for this, I remember getting in many message board fights. I thought these two were two of the best offensive linemen I ever saw in high school. And I remember people would say, well, one's good, but they're taking the other one as a throw-in. I'm like, no. And 
when I knew they were good is when not only watching them play, but I remember talking to the coaches at St. Thomas and they played Lakeland a lot. And Lakeland did was one of the teams that always gave St. Thomas the hardest time, whether they beat them or they would just straight up play them harder than anybody. And I remember talking to one of the St. Thomas coaches and you would think of all the players they played, they said those were the two best players they ever played against. And because high school offensive linemen don't play with that nastiness. These two were big athletic guys that came after you on every play. I remember they pull one guy and he'd get to the edge. And if he was one-on-one with the linebacker DB play over, you may as well just heard the band play because Rainey was going to score or their other running back that, you know, their other running back was in the end zone. You ran behind those two guys. Yeah. And what's crazy is they made a transition when they got to college. One played guard, the other one played center. And then one left early. Yeah. The NFL. One started playing defense that first year. One play, I think Marquise played D tackle that first year. Like they can do anything. But then the second one goes and he moves over to center and he gets drafted. And he was the one that I had slightly lower rated. Yeah. He ends up going and getting drafted higher. Yeah. Three spots higher. And, and now you're talking one of them, uh, the, the, Pouncy twin that went to the Steelers, he's most likely going to be a Hall of Famer. And, yeah. and that's saying something. These guys had 11-year careers. They, you know, they both stayed relatively healthy. They had some injuries towards the end, but they had great careers. I think if both of them had stayed healthy throughout their whole careers all the way through, they both would have had a shot at the Hall of Fame. But, I mean, they're two of the best. And that's when I do my evaluations, that's who I judge offensive linemen that I watch in high school. I want to see guys come off the ball. I want to see them be at a bend. I want to see that athleticism. And I want to see that ability to drive a guy into the ground and finish them off. And that's how they played. They were nasty. They were nasty at Florida. And they went to the NFL and they stayed nasty. And that's they, they're two of the best offensive linemen that I've seen in the state of Florida. You usually don't see kids like that. Uh, amazing competitors. I mean, we really, you know, it, I think, you know, we both during the East meets West game, uh, which was a precursor to the Under Armour All-America game, you know, we had them in the game and we had, you know, we had, and they, you know, they, they went up against some tough linemen on the West and they just, they just didn't back. They don't back down. They never back down from anything, anybody, any challenge. They, you know, they wanted to, they wanted to prove that they were the boss on the field. My, my, my favorite Pouncey's story comes from the down and dirty camp. They, you know, it dominated it as sophomores when they go through there. They come back as juniors. And at this point, they're big time recruits. So, you know, you the, the down and dirty, you don't always expect the big time recruits to come back. They, they play it. They do it because it's a physical, hard, padded, dirty camp. Like it's a you're, you're, you're banging a lot of leather in that camp and you can get hurt because, you know, it's hard hitting. And I remember they walk over there. They're doing, everybody's doing different things. They walk over to the boards. They grab, you know, the board drills. One grabs a board, puts it down. He stands. The other one grabs a board, puts it down, and stands there. And let everybody know that, hey, if they wanted some, they wanted to go up against the Kings. They were standing right here all day on the board drills. And, you know, different guys went up there and tried them. And, and you know, but that was their mentality. And they, like, you know, 
they wanted to come back because they wanted to compete. You know, they wanted to kind of see if there was some new linemen there, but they also wanted to let everybody know they were the standard. And uh, I, I, I love watching them play. I love watching them play in high school. I love watching them play in college because I just felt like they were just, they were, so, you know, when you, when you add in the, how nasty they were, how competitive they were. And it, it was funny because they, 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 they had these great smiles. You know, you see, especially Marquise, you take him off the field. He's hilarious. They're funny. They're laughing. They're joking. And the minute they get on the field, it's like they're new people. And, you know, even in the East meets West game, and a couple of times we saw him put guys on the ground, you know, right at the whistle. You know, one brother is in a little trouble. The other going to put the guy on the ground. We're just laughing. I mean, we're sitting there. Who did that? Oh, that was Big 20. Who did that? I mean, I've been around him a long time. I, I remember, I, you know, I went and uh, went to a Pro Bowl and sat with um, one of the twins. And then I remember going over to, you know, the, one of their houses to watch the draft and they were always very great. I, I really enjoyed being around them. I mean, they, they, that's how, you know, they're good. They have that personality to, you could hang out with them, but then they get on the football field and a different side of them takes over. And, you know, I, I experienced it and I love, you know, what's crazy is when you look at that team that they were on at Lakeland and it, it's, it's probably the only team you could compare that had, a ton of guys that went to college as a Northwestern team with Teddy, you know, I mean, um, Jacory and those guys. Is that team had John Brown, who was the number one D tackle in the country, or one of the top guys? They had Jordan Hammond, who was a defensive end, tight end, um, that went to LSU. They had Ahmad Black that went to Florida. They had Chris Rainey. They had another running back. I, I, I Mark can't... Taylor, who went to uh, UC, USF. Went to Alabama originally. Alabama first, then ended up so, at USF, yeah. And Nobody thought that those two twins would be the best of those two. It's kind of the, they're the Levante Taylors of the North. They were not the high, they weren't highly rated coming out. You know, they weren't these five-star guys. No. Um, and like I said, everybody thought one was really good and the other one was trash. I remember getting an well, argument. Everybody thought Marquise was the best one, which he was. But, you know, we, we had always said, you and I had always said, like, okay, Marquise is an All-American, but Mike is an All-SEC kid. Like, yeah. I mean, like, it wasn't – there wasn't that big of a difference. No. Nah. Because they were both the same size. They yeah. were both the same size. They could both play any position on the line. They, they could dance. Both... They were like dancing bears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They could do backflips. They were just a – they were freak athletes. But, you know, their athleticism isn't, you know – to me, that's not what made them successful. Them just being raw competitors. They were just two of the most competitive kids I've ever seen. And they were leaders. They yeah. were leaders. Like the, they controlled that Lakeland team. Yeah, like, absolutely. I, I remember being around both Pounceys and and Chris Rainey, and basically they were like, "Chris, this is how it's going to be. There ain't nothing like they. You want you want them holes to run through. You keep your mouth shut, basically." Like it was, they knew who was boss with those two. Yeah. Ah, so we talk about a Marquise, I think, has a really good chance at a really good argument the Hall of Fame. He's a five-time All-Pro, nine-time Pro Bowler. I think Mike will end up being a five-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to look that up. But uh, great careers for both of them, really. They made a lot of money. Uh, I think they're, they're happy retiring and I think you know they've got a lot of life ahead of them and I'm, you know I hope to see 
I don't know what they'll, what they'll do next. I know Marquise is very much loved in Pittsburgh. You know, he, he goes in as one of the great Steelers, and that's a great organization to be loved by. Uh, Mike spent many years with the Dolphins. He spent the last few years with the Chargers. Uh, you know, our, our good friend Timmy Norling will uh, surely – surely they've got a Vegas trip planned with our good friend Timmy Norling very, very soon to consummate their retirement. So they'll survive that. Yeah, we'll see what happens with them next. Their retirement party is going to be crazy, but I, I think they'll both be successful. They, they've saved their money up. I think that they both will – they may stay in football. They may end up like yeah. general managers one day. I just think they're both very intelligent. Oh, and, absolutely. And, yeah. and I think that they've done a very good job with their money. They, you know, they had a good financial advisor. They didn't go out and buy, you know, hundred foot yachts and stuff. They didn't go overspend. And and they come from, you know, they come, they take care of a lot of people. So I, I think they're going to be uh, wise about how they uh, take care of their future. But you know, I wish them nothing but the best. I've always enjoyed being around them, and uh, they're two of the best high school players I've wa- had the privilege to watch live. So, um, you know, that's it's a good thing. Well, we wish you well, Pouncey's in your retirement. Thank you for well over 15 years of enjoyment with Charles and I. Thank you for uh, being part of the East meets West game. Uh, I think I we really more than I really appreciate that because that roster looks with Gronkowski being in that game, that roster looks better and better every year that we look back on like wow, we had some players in that game. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Who would have ever thought, you know, that at, at that game and, and you look at Gronkowski, he was a Pennsylvania kid that went to Arizona. How did he I don't know if he got off the wrong airplane or whatever, but he went to a school that it, it wasn't a traditional school. You would have wondered like where he would have gone now with how much hype he would have had coming out now. Um, I mean, it's he, he turned out to be, you're talking about a Hall of Fame tight end. We may have had two Hall of Famers in one game, yeah. and not too many people could say that. Yeah, one day we got to, you know, we got to, in soon nature, we got to go back and really, I, I, you know, really look at that roster. because It's still out there. I think I still have one. I think both of us might still have a program, or I might still have a program. Hey, Demarcus Van Dyke made it to the NFL, and, and now as a coach, he's a he's a position coach with the Miami Hurricanes. And I mean, a lot of those guys, I'm telling you, a lot of them are in coaching and yeah, are doing Pua, very well. I mean, Pua, who was a first round pick, right? I so, think I think uh, Kenny uh, B B J Kenny is like the offensive coordinator at Tulsa, or one of the. I mean, I saw him coaching. I mean, these guys have had success and that was a game that we basically threw together in a month so yeah. uh, you can't you know everybody involved in that event did a phenomenal job absolutely absolutely and you did a phenomenal job in the newly named fish cast uh we did have a guest schedule but some things uh unfortunately some uh, issues came up so we're gonna hope to reschedule him it's a very special guest I think I'm excited about it. Like I said, I think, you know, I got the numbers back of what we've done so far and the numbers have been very good. I mean, to think that basically this was, we started out to do do this for fun and then, you you know, people are listening to it. I mean, the one thing I was talking about, you know, our producer, he was telling me about how, um, how many people listen all the way through. And that's crazy. I I, I thought people would get tired of hearing my voice after about 15 minutes. (laughs) But they've listened and they're listening through. And I, I, like I said, I think only brighter things are ahead in the future of the uh, Fish Podcast. So I'm excited. So until the next time, for Charles Fishbeam, my name is Corey Long. Wishing you well. Have a great week.